Good morning. This is the ancient Texan. I apologize a little bit for a couple of things before I start. Uh, I had a nose operation, deviated septum, still nose is still full of stitches, so it's affected the way I'm talking. Then I'm going to talk about a topic, and I'm going to ramble. And it's going to be long, but it's important to me, and so here it goes. I'm trying to find a, a title for this, but it's something like Aston the Bean, like human bean, but just the bean. I often think when we say someone is a human being, that our emphasis is on the word human, and that somehow makes it important. And if you don't have the word human attached to being, it's not important. And I think we have too much weight on how important we are as human beings. And it often blinds us to the beings that are around us that are just as important as humans. We think our status in this world and in nature and on this planet it's more important than it really is. And I think, you know, climate change is, and a lot of the environmental problems we have come from the point of view are, are made so bad because of how important we think we are. It's kind of like our ancient religion, you know, God... made human in his own likeness and that he made all the animals and nature to serve humans. That's a very old and very dangerous point of view. So I'm going to celebrate the life of a being that was with me 18 years. I've lived in Maryland for the better part of 20 years, Elkton, Maryland. For most of that time, Aston was a being that lived with me and affected my life. Um, I put him to sleep this week and we'll get to that. But I'm going to kind of, this is a tribute to a being that I knew that affected me. He was a rare force of nature. Uh, there's just some people, some beings that are bigger than life itself and that have a force and they know who they are.
you believed in carnation, you'd believe that there's some people that have done this many times before, and they're on a mission. There's that famous line in the movie, the force is strong with, with you. Uh, Star Trek. Well, the force was strong with Ashton. He was a creature endowed with a sense of purpose. He was a large Jack Russell. And his heyday is probably 26 pounds. Uh, very tall for a Jack Russell. Very strong. And an enormous amount of energy and purpose. And it wasn't nervous energy. It was directed at a mission. And he he was born with an innate sense of right and wrong. And he didn't, like most dogs that I've had in Bungalow, the one I have now, very much looks to me to define right and wrong. But Ashton defined right and wrong himself. He thought something should be or shouldn't happen. Uh, and he was not easy to to change. He understood what you wanted, but he did not necessarily agree. He was kind of a creature that said, I am. I am a being that's worth something. And my opinion counts. I brought him into my life and my family's life. My daughter and I had just moved up here. My life, my wife came a little later. Uh, she was at the eighth grade, came up here in the middle of the year. She instantly was the best kid in school. I mean, literally, she got the end of the eighth grade. She got awards for, you know, she, basically every award she was called up on the stage. And she was the one getting the award for, she had a friend, Kate, that got a couple, and she must have gotten seven or eight. Uh, well, she went from being, you know, the instant star to being bullied because she came into a system where, as my daughter said, I asked, Is it, are the teachers worse here? And she said, no, the teachers aren't worse. It's the students. There's not a sense of what to do good here. Uh, they all lie together and convince the teacher that they had the assignment and you're not supposed to be good. And I think she deliberately started changing her performance to match with the kids and had a lot of problems from disability, from being uh, bullied by other kids. So I brought Ashton into the situation because I thought she needed a dog. And I would have probably picked a dog that was uh, obedient, gentle, loving. And I didn't know that I didn't pick that kind of dog because Ashton was not always gentle. Uh, and he was not always one to follow. He was often one to lead. Also, my wife came up a little bit later and she 
uh, when she moved up here, cancer re returned that had been gone. Uh, so she was not in a happy state of mind. My daughter's her life kind of went down the tube with being bullied. My wait, late wife came up here with cancer. Uh, things weren't going good for her. Uh, I became unemployed after 9-11. All my consulting work went away. So Ashton was coming into a world that was in turmoil. And... Uh, Things were not going well with the Odals. I was part of the white American bales where our jobs had been outsourced to China. I had something like a dozen companies that I worked for, went out of business, all of them outsourced to China. I was laid off more times than uh, most people could have ever survived. I was angry. I was also angry with religion. I've been raised in a fundamentalist religion. I was still coping with that. I kind of used force and aggression as my way of solving most things. Well, Aston entered this world uh, Three people kind of in all in kind of a bad situation, kind of struggling together. First, it was clear to us that Aston was incredibly smart. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever been around, uh, haven't been around many humans as smart as him. I remember the day my wife said she's going to chain, trade Aston to ring the bell when he wants to go outside. And I said, yeah, that's going to work. And I watched him call her call Aston over. She tied the belt to the sliding glass door, rung the bell, opened the door. He watched her do that. He walked over and rang the bell. She opened the door. He walked out. He walked back in. She started to repeat the process, and he walked away. But we came to find out later that that was enough. He had learned how to ring the bell. She put a bell on the front door. She rang the bell. He walked away. Well, he wanted to go out the front door a little later. He went in there and rang the bell. That was just, to me, like, this is just incredible. Everyone in the house... And people that come visit would teach him tricks. Everybody using different signals, different commands. I know you're not supposed to confuse a dog, but he wasn't confused. He just learned it. And he also taught the humans, teaching them the tricks. If you don't have a treat, I don't know anything. So he would... You'd have to show him your treat, show him that it was worth doing something for, then he would do it. He also turned out to be, you know, bred into him. He was a hunter, 
And when the hunting gene got turned on, the hunting button, well, treats weren't good enough to stop him from hunting. Alicia once called me. She'd taken him to a, a pond near here. And Aston had, had jumped in the pond and started chasing uh, the ducks. And then my daughter called me and said, you know, he's been in there a half hour chasing the ducks. I'm afraid that uh, he's going to drown because he's been swimming for half an hour. I drove down there and literally got there. And he finally did obey me when he got near the shore. And it looked like, you know, I was way dead that I was going to come get him. And he also recognized I was another force of nature. Oh, I remember he was fishing. He was at our fish pond that we made. And my wife was telling me that she thought he was catching the fish. And I told her, dogs aren't smart enough to fish. You know, they don't, they don't know how to fish. And as I was saying that, I was facing my wife, Julie, and I was watching him. He was standing in the pond at the edge of the pond, and he had his feet in the pond, and he was standing perfectly still, not moving a muscle. And a fish swam underneath his mouth. He reached down and grabbed it. And these are goldfish, like four or five inches long, big goldfish. He flipped that thing up, and it went down his throat. And I remember I could still see it wiggling as it went down and then resumed his position and caught a second one all in the space of about five to ten seconds and he'd swallowed two fish just as fast I mean incredibly fast well it took me a long time to convince him to stop feeding on our fish because <laughs> I told him you know <laughs> dogs aren't smart enough to know how to fish. I remember catching him in the garage up on a shelf about eight foot up in the air. I have no idea how he got up there. Knocking over ice chests because the ice chest had turned out to have mice in the ice chest. I have pictures of him eight foot up in a tree after three raccoons. I have this vision of him killing a raccoon that was much bigger than him, uh, that didn't think he needed to run because it was just a dog coming up. And he hit the raccoon at full stride, uh, hit him on the neck, and he was dead before he knew what was happening. Julie, who didn't first want him, uh, he won her over, but he, he wasn't like, you know, when she was mowing the yard with our tractor, he wasn't content to just follow along. He insisted that he had to drive, and he would actually get up in her lap, his back legs on the her lap, and his front legs on the tractor steering wheel. And he would ride around the yard as she bowed, balancing his two front wheels, feet on the 
the steering of his back feet, standing up, bowing the whole yard with her. He also at one point detected that the cancer had come back and he started getting angry with her and he wouldn't let me in the bed and he was acting very strange. And he finally got so angry that he went out during a snowstorm and went and got the doghouse. And this, none of it made any sense at the time, and he wouldn't come back in. But Julie was having trouble breathing, and we took her to the emergency room, and uh, the cancer had come back in and filled up her lungs. And he had sensed that and was angry with us that we weren't doing anything about it. I picked out nurses eventually to help me take care of her. And one of the nurses, Ashton, decided was not going to take care of, of Julie. Uh, he would not let her in the house. Uh, one time when I had her come in, uh, I chained him up in the backyard. And he somehow got off of his chain. They had the house locked up, but he found a window that would pull down, and he cut the screen open with his teeth, broke into the house, got up on the bed, and wouldn't let the nurse close. Later, that nurse asked me to befriend her on Facebook, which I did, and I got on there, and her whole talk was filled with just oh, kind of filthy language and angry language. And she was going on about her ex, but it was a very scary video that I found. And Aston would, he basically decided that she was not going to be a nurse. And that after I saw uh, her Facebook post, which I can't imagine any sane person would have asked to Facebook me if they had those kind of posts on their uh, screen. You know, it's obvious to me that why Aston decided that she was not going to be a nurse. And as she got sicker, he would let less and less people get close to her, and he would guard her 24 7. Uh, His being, the two of us would go on a, a lot of hikes, scaring up deer and raccoon and possums and foxes. And we'd kind of hunt him as a team, but Ashton was kind of expected you to follow him part of the time, and he would follow you part of the time. It was kind of a joint effort. I remember once I lost him five-plus miles from home, and I looked for him until it got dark, and I finally called Julie and said, I've lost Ashton, and she told me, he's been here for an hour. Uh, he had just got separated, and he went home by himself. 
Ashton had this thing of coming up when you were sitting and he would sit down and he would stare at you and he would lock his eyes on you and he would not break his eyes. And we all came up with a phrase, read my mind. And he would sit there and expect you to ask him questions about what he wanted. Like, is it time for a walk? Time for food? Time for bed? Let's go play for Frisbee? But whatever. He would sit there and stare at you. And if you said the wrong thing, he didn't move. He just, like, continued to stare. Like, read my mind. At nighttime, uh, he would come up to bed and Amy would often read something to the two of us. But we we found out that Ashton would sit in the middle of us and he would sit down, get ready, put that stare on, and he would listen to every single word of the story. There would not be a muscle in his body not moving as he listened to her read a story or talk about something. And if she forgot the talk or something, he would come and sit there and stare at her till she read us a story. He was always interested in how something worked. If you were working on a, a weed eater, a weed whacker or something, he would want to, he would sit there, lock his gaze and watch every single thing you did. And he wanted to understand how everything worked. And he had a curiosity that uh, was amazing. And he always wanted to know in anything how it worked and was there a payoff. Like if you wanted him to do something, are you going to give him a treat? Are we going to go for a walk? Are we going to get a ride? And you'd have to explain that to him before he would cooperate with you. He also wanted to know often did something need to be killed or punished. If you locked him in a car, he was going to try to break out of it. If there was a mouse in an AC unit, he was going to tear up the AC unit to get the mouse out. I've seen him identify mice that were in a cooler, you know, eight foot above the floor level uh, in a ditch in a road that we were walking by uh, in a na neighbor's drain spout that he tore off their house. He was also, like, a, like at the house, he was in charge of stuff. Like if there was a cat fight, we had three cats, and they'd get into a cat fight, and he would scream into the middle of them and impose himself in the middle and say, if there's going to be any fighting, I'm going to be here. And he would literally make the, the cats uh, just stop fighting. He would not allow fighting. Or if a visiting dog came here, he would... Make sure that he supervised, that he goes to the right places, that, you know, he's not going to run away. It was just like his, his domain. And if another animal was going to be here, uh, it was going to be under his terms. 
I watched a large dog once chase him up the street, and he was running for his life. He was smart enough not to, to attack this huge dog that was after him. But as soon as he, with a dog right on his butt, as soon as he passed and got into his yard, he whirled around and came back, teeth, fangs bared and with an aggression that scared the bigger dog away. Because all of a sudden it was his turf, his domain. His last years, uh, he got where he could barely walk. But even, you know, where his walk became, he was his legs were twisted from arthritis. Uh, it didn't look like sometime he was going to be able to get him off, get off the ground. But he still continued his daily perimeter walks. We have a one-acre lot, and he would walk around, circle around the outside of that. And as he got more feeble, his circle shrank to where it was just around the house. But he continued to take his walks, uh, probably the last one in a week within he got put to sleep. And he would continue to try to go on walks around the neighborhood. He would just take off and get himself, you know, out in the field and lost because uh, he could no longer see or hear. But he still had that, I'm in charge. And he'd still come in the evening. He'd be falling over and he'd sit, prop himself up against the couch and he'd stare at you and say, read my mind, figure out what I want. He still believed in a routine, expected me to put him to bed the same way every night, give him a treat, let him sit on my lap till he falls asleep, and then put him in his, in his bed. The day I put him to sleep after, probably a year before I put him to sleep, I started thinking I should put him to sleep. Because he had this sense of duty, and he kept doing his job, even when he, it was just incredibly difficult for him to even get up uh, and fall over, and then he would just hobble, trying to keep his balance. Uh, but still, has to go do the perimeter. He'd still growl at Bungalow, trying to keep him in line when he wasn't doing what he's supposed to. He even inspected his grave that I'd dug for him, or that had dug for him. The day that I put him to sleep, I drove, and my wife Amy held him in his lap, and he enjoyed the car ride. We went inside, and got into a little room where he has to be put to sleep. And he sat in my lap, and I kind of held him in my arms. And he sat there, and he was so peaceful, and just so, like, he seemed very much aware of what was going on. And it was like he was making it easy for me. Um, and then it gave him a little sedative and he just curled up in my arms and went to sleep and then another shot to put his heart to sleep but 
There was no stress, no anxiety. He was sitting there with me and saying, you know, this is what you got to do and I don't think I can do my job anymore. I'm not sure I could, I've got another perimeter walk in me. He was a bean named Ashton. He touched my life and made me better. He reflected me. He reflected the anger in me. He changed me and evolved with me. He changed the people around me. He defied me. He obeyed me, mostly. He was a force of nature. He was a bead that changed my bead. This is the ancient Texan. Namaste. Yo, this is the ancient Texan. I just listened to the podcast on Ashton and I thought of a lot of other stories, but I'll just add one. Uh, we used to take him on a walk and he'd walk around the block with without a leash and did pretty good. Um, and I stopped at this one house and talked to this lady that happened to be dying of, of cancer. And I stayed there too long. I looked around and Ashton was gone. And so after a half hour talking with her, um, I started walking back around the neighborhood and uh, everybody knew Ashton because Ashton would come up and greet everybody. Uh, as I walked around, I think three different people kind of hollered out to me and said, oh, he, he came by here early. He said, I, I was wondering where you were. And I'd go down the ways, little ways. And Ashton already came by. He said, we're wondering what happened to you. And then, you know, a third person told me. And I got home and he was at home, you know, sitting there waiting. Um, but he got impatient with me. So he just did his dog walk without me. I thought of him, and that's one of the stories that kind of, you know, he was his own person. He did his own thing. Um, had a big impact on my life, and very glad to have known him. This is the ancient Texan. Namaste.